You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself to be an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So just real quickly, just to set that stage. Remember, this passage we've studied over the last couple of weeks. We've seen that there is a call to repentance. And then last week uh, in in verses 4 through 10 and then in verses 11 through 12, we get a picture of what that of what that expression of repentance looks like. No longer speaking evil or condemnation on our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's this reality that our words begin to be beneficial for one another, beneficial towards one another, building each other up and not tearing each other down. This is the way that we draw near to God, that we humble ourselves before God, that we submit ourselves to Him. This is one of the ways that we see that being expressed But it doesn't end there. We get another case study here, another example, if you will, in the verses that follow. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father God, we need you now. Apart from you, we're left in darkness. So show us your light. Help us to understand these words. Help us to understand how to apply them in our particular setting, in our particular place, in the particular circumstances that we live in. Father, if there'd be anybody here today that that has practiced religion but never trusted you, I pray that you'd use these words to wake them up. For the immature brother or sister who has not yet learned to trust you more than they trust themselves, I'd ask, Father, that you would use this to grow them up. And for the mature brother or sister that sits here today listening, thinking, oh, this is for everyone else, I would just ask that you press deeply into our hearts and not let us stand in judgment over anyone. But that we would be so concerned for our brothers and sisters that we would actually participate in this together. 
Father, speak by your spirit. Lead us into truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm married to a planner. If you don't know my wife, well, if you get to know my wife, you'll find that out. Married to a planner. I used myself last week, and so I just thought this would be okay. (laughs) My wife, on the other hand, is married to a guy who plans to react and to, to deal with situations as they come. She likes to think of it as flying by the seat of my pants. I like to think I'm just flexible. <laughs> Amy knows our calendar so well that, or she used to at least, it's full, it's busy, but she used to know our calendar so well that I could call out a date in two or three months and she would know actually what day of the week it was. So if I said, I don't know, uh, September 10th, based on other events, I'm not going to put her to the test now, that's too much pressure, but based on other events planned around that, she would know that that's a whatever, Friday, I don't know if it's Friday, whatever day of the week it is, she would know it because she was planning, she was thinking ahead, she was always seeking to have a schedule. Well, me, not so much. Many of you know I'm actually calendar challenged. (laughs) I struggle. I'm just happy to know what day of the week it is. I was telling my mom this week as she's she's, uh, talking about some things going on, I said, I'm just happy to know that it's Sunday right? Like, that's what I need to know, what day of the week it is. But something's happened in both Amy and I, as we've been married now for a long time. She has actually grown more flexible as she has had to learn to deal with me, and I have grown in my understanding, my desire even, to have a plan laid out. There really is a lot of value of being able to look out ahead, to, to look at what's to come, and, and have a plan to, to deal with it, to think about what is out there. But, listen, James wants us to do that in a certain way. He's, he, he lets us know that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And just to be a little bit maybe more clear, maybe a little more direct, that there's a commendable way to do it and a sinful way to do it. One that's not acceptable at all. A Christian. It's better to humbly plan to live daily in accordance with the Lord's will than to arrogantly plan to live according to your own. It's better to humbly plan to live in accordance with the Lord's will daily than to arrogantly arrogantly plan to live according to your own. James starts this paragraph. He opens this, this teaching or this point that he's making with the words, Come now, you who say... And instead of his normal addresses of, of brothers, as instead of nor- directly addressing this to Christians, he, he leaves this ambiguity. And, and some people think that he's, as he's pointing to these merchants, to, to these people who are probably wealthy merchants, they think that probably, maybe he's talking to, to cultural Christians within the church, people who aren't really Christian, but who have a form of religion, who practice religion, but aren't really trusting God. Some would say that he's speaking to non-believers. And if you want to hold that perspective, you're welcome to hold that perspective. That's not the perspective I'm going to come at it from. I'm in the camp that thinks he's probably still speaking to Christians. And the reason for that is, is because in verse 14, he chastises, the, 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 he gets on to these people for not holding, a, not, not looking at life from a Christian perspective. He urges them to acknowledge the Lord's the Lord's providence, the Lord's providential plan for their life. And then he suggests that they, 
they ought to they ought to know better, that they ought to do this because they know it. However, even as I'm approaching the text this way, I recognize that there's something happening in this passage that everyone can learn from. Any one of us can be challenged by these words. For the non-Christian, my prayer for you all week as I've thought about these words, and if you're here today or you might be listening to a recording... I'm praying that you would be confronted with the reality that you trust yourself instead of the Lord. If you're here today and you're listening in, but you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I I pray that this opens your eyes. I have been trusting myself all along. I have never actually exercised faith, not just about the life to come, but in this life, in in the Lord. I pray today that it happens. On the other hand, Christians need to be challenged to see that their faith, even for those of us with strong faith, still wrestle with areas of weak faith. And the reality is, is that oftentimes we, even if unintentionally, even if unintentionally trust ourselves, more than we trust the Lord. Case in point, I think it's easy to see when difficulty comes, instead of counting it all joy, our first reaction is figure out how to get out from the, the difficulty. Like, how do I get back to my easy street instead of embracing it and watching to see what the Lord will do? For us, it's time to grow up. There's no room in the body of Christ for the arrogance that leads to Christians trusting themselves, living according to their own will, and doing their own thing, and pursuing their own purposes, and building their own kingdom instead of God's. There's no room for a Christian to live independently from the Lord. In James' words, it's evil, it's sin. Is it really that big a deal? I mean, is James not just kind of pushing it too far? Is he not just exaggerating the point a little bit? Well, it struck me this week as I was thinking about this and thinking about what's ahead because I actually do that now. Thank you, Amy. It it struck me as I'm thinking about Christians living independently and how we're about to celebrate July 4th, a.k.a. Independence Day. that what's represented in that celebration of the United States' independence from Great Britain has been woven into the DNA, to the very fabric of who we consider ourselves to be as Americans. Independent. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Who are you to tell me how I should react or what I should think, what I should do? Who are you to tell me that there's a right and wrong here? What's right for me is what I want What's wrong for me is you telling me that there's another right for me. You see, the reality is, as we live every day in the middle of a nation, in the middle of a people who are seeking to celebrate their independence, not just from some other nation on the other side of an ocean, but from a God who created, a God who commands, a God who holds all authority, 
This is, this is not just a problem in American culture, but it finds its way into the church. And I, then I came across this quote in my reading, and instead of coming up with something else, I thought it would just be helpful. R. Kent Hughes, in his sermon on this, in his commentary series, he writes these words. So pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God that even many or most Christians attend church, marry, choose their vocations, have children, buy and sell homes, expand their portfolios, and numbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. More Christians never seriously pray about God's will regarding their vocation, family, direction, or entertainments that then actually seek God's will. They change Augustine's love God and do as you please to do as you please and say that you love God. Now I recognize that you don't come here every week because there's a lot of ear tickling going on, a lot of entertainment being presented. I recognize that maybe the, that the, 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 um, the ratio is out of balance here a little bit. That maybe it's not most people sitting in this room that are here simply because they want to check off a box or maybe just looking for some good time to have on Sunday morning because you got nothing better to do. Or I, I know that probably sitting in this room, most of us have a desire to know God's will, to live God's will. But I'd be naive to think, and I think we'd all be naive to think, that there's not people sitting in this very room that aren't often praying to find God's will in every aspect of their life. That probably somewhere in your life there are still areas that you are trying to live according to how you would want to live and then begging God to bless it. Let me let you in on a little secret. I think we see it being played out here. We were never created to live independently from God or from each other. God created us with limited abilities so that He would have to fulfill them. He created us complementarily so that we would need each other. He he created us and designed us in such a way that we could never fully accomplish all He commanded us apart from Him or one another. And so now for us as Christians, every Sunday is actually not just a celebration of the dependability or the faithfulness of God, although it is, it is also a celebration of our ability to depend or our opportunity to depend on Him. It is our dependence day. Praise God that He lets us. You see, we were created to live according to His will, in accordance with His design, to do exactly what He intends for us to do. And for any, anything else, it's not just a misstep. It is actually an affront against Him. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sin against God. That's what James is seeking to make clear here for the Christian to, to live. This is, there, there, there is no room for a Christian to live in such a way That they are seeking some other thing other than what the Lord would have for them. Instead, he says there's a better way. It's better to humbly plan to live daily in accordance with the Lord's will than to arrogantly plan to live according to your own. And James shows us this by, by, by really contrasting what is going on in the church. He shows us two different 
things. He shows us what I'm calling arrogant planning and humble planning. And that's how we're going to look at the rest of these verses. We're going to start with arrogant planning because that's where uh, uh, James starts. But, but this contrast is important for us to see. So that for the non-believer they can begin to believe. For the believer that they can continue to grow. Arrogantly planning to live according to your own will is foolish. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to call you a fool. If you want to take it that way, you're you're welcome to. It's not my intent. But there is a foolishness going on here. And James shows us this in two ways. First, he says in verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. We can't even tell the weather tomorrow exactly, right? Like, I mean, how many people know they can look up today what's going to happen tomorrow in the weather. And they know that tomorrow morning they're going to have to wake up and look again at what's going to happen in the weather. And then by the time you get to the end of the day, it might have changed. That's why everywhere you go, everywhere you move, I, I talk to people from all over the place and they all say the same thing that, hey, you live in, enter the location, unless you're in the Sahara Desert or maybe the Southwest, you, you, you live in this location, wait long enough, the weather, it's going to be a different weather, the weather's going to change. Everybody has that kind of idea. We might, have, we might be able to make educated guesses about what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to wake up. This is my calendar for tomorrow. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to begin to read devotionally through next week's passage. I'm going to plan to be here, uh, and, and I'll sit down and meet with Ash beginning at 9 o'clock unless, unless something happens. But, oh, wait a minute. Unless something happens. I, mean, I, mean, I have an educated guess of what's going to happen. It's on my calendar. But there's no guarantee that I know that that's going to happen. See, the problem is we don't know what tomorrow holds. Truth is, we don't even really know there's a tomorrow. Do we? Are you certain tomorrow will come? Will the sun rise tomorrow? If the Lord doesn't come back, He's promised that He won't destroy it by a flood in the, in the, in the covenant He made with Noah. He said that I, as long as, as long as the earth endures, seed time harvest, he, he makes this promise that it'll keep doing what it's supposed to do. But he is completely right and able and has the position, the power to stop it at any time. You might be lucky enough that I don't get to finish this sermon. We all get to see him face to face. Wouldn't that be glorious? You're like, yes, it would. (laughs) It absolutely would. Our knowledge is limited. And so arrogantly planning to live according to your own will is foolish. The second way he shows us that is, is, is he tells us that our life is, at least according to our perspective, is uncertain. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It, it, it's a mist. It's, it's brief. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And that could happen at any time. You never know when it might happen to you. Just last week, I, I was... At home, and I received a message that a pastor I knew through the Acts 29 net- network was killed in a car accident. I mean, nobody was expecting that. This guy's just a couple of years older than I am. He's got a family. He's got a wife and kids. They were expecting to have dinner together. And suddenly they weren't. Yesterday, Amy was on the, on the way back from 
uh, we were blessed to be able to go to Silver Dollar City, uh, free tickets, which was great. That's the best way to go to Silver Dollar City, free tickets for lunch and for um, uh, uh, entry into the park. It's amazing. I, I would encourage you, if you can ever go for free, go for free. It's a lot more fun. But on the way back, she's flipping through Facebook as I'm dutifully driving us home safely. And she reads a post to me about a friend of ours whose husband, who, he's a husband and a father uh, to three young kids, and he's been fighting cancer for some time. And they got bad news that if this next procedure, if they can't find some, some answer out of this next procedure, they don't expect him to live long at all. The reality is there was a day when he was moving along, just living life, and he got a phone call. You have cancer. See, we don't know when the phone rings. We don't know if it's just a friend calling to connect, say, hey, what's up? You want to go get dinner? Calling us to celebrate. I won the lottery. You did? Don't forget me. Or someone to tell us, that tragedy has struck. Life is a mist. It's here, and then it vanishes. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what, how, how, when the day is appointed for us to, to enter into eternity. We don't know. It's, it's short, and it's brief. It would be foolish for us to plan according to our own will, because our perspectives are so finite. They're so limited. I mean, let me just ask the parents. Actually, I think any adult could probably answer this. Is a five or six or seven-year-old kid able to plan out the next year of their life? Would you leave that to them? Probably not. (laughs) Whether we like to admit it or not, though, James has actually confronted us with the reality that we're not really better off than the five, six, or seven-year-old in planning the next year of our life. Adulthood isn't the issue. There's not a rating on planning the next year of our life. Because even no, no, no matter how adult you get, no matter, no, no, no matter how spiritually mature you become, there is a reality that your knowledge of tomorrow is limited and your life and in, in, in your time in this life is short. And there's another perspective that I want you to gain about that short life. Why in the world would you why in the world would we seek to put down roots in a place that doesn't last? We're so busy pursuing whatever. Why in the world are we spending so much time building kingdoms that are eventually going to fade, that aren't going to last? See, life is a mist. This is brief. In the context of eternity, this time is brief. Eternity doesn't stop. It never ends. There's There's not a place where we can see the horizon, and that's It's going to be over. That's forever. That's a long time. There's no end to it. This little speck of time in our life is 
it's gone. Why are we so concerned with what happens now instead of preparing for what happens then? Brothers and sisters, arrogantly planning to live according to our own will, to the will that our flesh naturally has, is foolish. It's absolutely foolish. Arrogantly planning to live according to your own will is faithless. Now I want to qualify that because I actually think it requires lots of faith to do this, but it's just a faith in, in one who isn't actually able to accomplish all they say they want to accomplish. Look back at verse 14, where, or verse 13. Today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. This person is so limited, not just in their knowledge, not just in the time that they have to live, but also in their ability. They cannot guarantee that they come out the other side profitable. They can't guarantee that they make it to the, to the uh, next place that they're going to go. They can't guarantee that there's going to be opportunity to trade when they get there. They, they are limited in their ability. And so while there is an excessive amount of faith expressed in that statement, it is faith in one who is absolutely incapable of doing what he sets out to do. See, we are limited in our knowledge. We are limited in our lifespan, and we are limited in our power. But this is, I think, where we struggle. We really trust in ourselves an awful lot and our abilities, and what we can accomplish. Consider this. Everything we do, and I, I think this is, I, I, I have thought, uh, as I've thought about making this statement, I've tried to think of all kinds of different things, and, and, and maybe you can think of something that doesn't agree with this or that would prove me wrong here. I don't want to hear it. No, I'm just kidding. You can talk to me after. I'd like to, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to consider it with you. Everything we do, and I think this, again, I think it applies to everything, in some way, in some way, one way or another, is ultimately, eventually dependent upon God bringing fruit from it. In the very depths of our design, he created us to be dependent upon him. Adam and Eve. He commands them, be fruitful and multiply. There's a really great part that they get to play, right? In being fruitful and multiplying. But there's a certain point where they can't actually conceive life. No matter how much they practice, no matter how often they're together, there is absolutely no power to actually bring life to the womb. Certainly, they, they play a role, but God must make their effort fruitful. I think this is true of all of our efforts. We breathe. Where's the air come from in which we breathe? Who makes sure that we have enough of it? We drink water. Where'd that come from? At some point, we always find ourselves dependent upon God's good nature. Even in business, you may have plenty. You may have an abundance of marketable skills, but even in business... Who actually makes them fruitful? Who actually opens the opportunity? Who actually puts things together in such a way that, that you can even do what you're doing? 
Where did you get the ability? See, no matter how good we are at something, the, the reality is, is that we're just not good enough. No matter how good a planner we think we are, we're just not good enough. No matter how good a businessman, no matter business person, no matter how, how good we are at whatever we think we are, we are just not good enough. But that's not a slight against us if we'll simply find what we're lacking fulfilled in our sovereign providential God. That's actually how he designed it to be. So instead of trusting ourselves and being faithless toward God, James is calling us to express our faith in God. Arrogantly planning to live according to your own will is foolish, it is faithless, it's evil. Now I tried to think of an F word to go there, but I couldn't. (laughs) So you get evil. The point is, this isn't just a bad choice. It's sin. It's not just a misstep. It's sin. Instead of seeking to live in submission with God, we're actually asking God to live in submission to us. Like, we're going to plan our, our, our life. We're going to say, okay, well, I, I, I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to have this many kids. I'm going to live in this place. I'm going to go and do this thing. Hey, God, will you bless this? You see how backwards that is? We've determined our whole path, and then suddenly, oh, well, God, I need you to bless this. Come, where are you at? Why aren't you blessing this? God is not your Santa Claus sitting in the sky waiting for you to ask, to, to come down and fulfill your will. This is evil. I think it's especially important for Christians to, to recognize this. We claim to be trusting God for eternal life through Jesus Christ. How in the world can we say we trust Him for some time off in the future that we don't know when it's coming or how, how uh, far out it will? We, we don't know anything about it except that it's coming. Who are we then to say that today I don't trust Him for the circumstance that I live in? How can I possibly stand before God and say I am yours for eternity, but today i got to take care of myself? Gosh, that's broken. It's evil. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is not just simply ignoring God. It is us playing God. This isn't a small thing. James wants us to see that this isn't a small thing. See, we were never created to live independently of him. We were never created to live in such a way that we wouldn't find ourselves eating from his hand. James isn't saying this just to beat us with some more truth. He's saying this because he wants us to see that there's something better, something much, much better. And in, in case you're wondering, in, in, in case this is floating around in your head, it, it doesn't matter if you admit that this is true or not. Right? God's sovereign whether you believe it or not. God's sovereign and acting in his providential will whether you accept it or not, whether you appreciate it or not, whether you like it or not. 
Because we are his creation, even when we are trying to live independently from him, we aren't. So why would we keep trying to? Why wouldn't we just turn around and seek to walk in his will? See, James advocates planning and living in a whole different way, in in accordance with the Lord's will, planning in such a way that it, it takes into account the Lord's will, that it takes into account the sovereignty and the providence of God. This is not us giving up on planning altogether. It's not a call to, to not look ahead and apply wisdom to the circumstances and situations that might be coming. Instead, it sets the expectation to plan properly with a view to who God is and who we are. This doesn't mean that every time we make a plan, we have to say, I, I, I think anyway, and I, 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 there's plenty of people that I read, read from that would agree with this, doesn't mean that every time we make a plan that we have to say, if the Lord wills. Now, I don't know. This is probably not politically correct anymore because I think they're where it's rooted from. I, I like to say, and you may have heard me say it recently, we're going to do this thing. If the Lord wills and the creek don't rise, we'll see you on Sunday, right? And I, I don't know if that's really acceptable to say anymore. I'm, I think that means creek, water, I can't cross it, right? I think there's people that would say that's, I don't know. But I don't think this means that every time we say something that we have to add, if the Lord wills. There are examples of Jesus and Paul doing this very thing, saying what they're expecting to do, what they're looking to do, wanting to do, and not invoking this phrase, if the Lord wills. But what we know was it was the underlying principle that they built their plans on and that they lived upon. The other side of that is you can say it all you want, but if it's not an underlying principle in your heart, it doesn't matter how often you say it, it's not true. An old Puritan pastor named Thomas Manton wrote in his commentary, when we use these forms, the heart must go along with the tongue. Common forms of words in which God's name is used are mere profanities if the heart is not reverent. Augustine cautions, do not learn to have in your hearts what everyone has in his tongue. The words are common, but the meaning is useful. The heart behind it, the idea that that, that I mean what I say. I believe that God is providential. And so as I speak these words, if the Lord wills, I am completely submissive to his will. It doesn't matter what you say if you don't believe it, if it's not congruent with what's going on in your heart. James has been calling us out on that over and over, all the way through this letter, that our words and our actions must be in alignment with one another. If it's not true, there's no sense in you saying it. If it is true, say it. But you don't have to say it every time. Make sure it's true in your heart. So James isn't against planning at all. He's just for planning humbly. This is where we get into the contrast, the contrasting perspective. We talked about arrogant planning. It's foolishness, it's faithlessness, and it's evil. Now we're talking about humble planning, a right perspective of planning. Humbly planning in accordance with the Lord's will demands faith in Him. See, we have to learn to trust in His providential care. It means that we have to learn to trust Him, not just for the moment that's out there when we will be saved, but the moment that we live in right now. And I would go so far as to suggest that if your faith is only in Him for that moment when you face eternity, 
you might ask yourself if you're really trusting him at all. I'm not saying that to be argumentative or just to get up in your business. I'm not even certain I would be able to help you discern whether your faith is saving or not. But I'd say you need to do some work with the Lord. We have to learn to trust him today. We have to learn to trust him in this moment. God knows tomorrow. Where we don't know tomorrow, He knows it. He knows the extent of our lives. He knows when we will come to that point where we will no longer be in this life. He has power to accomplish all that He plans to accomplish. Where we are limited, He is infinite. The Scripture lays this out beautifully. One of my favorite passages, Psalm 139, verses 15 through 16. Speaking of us. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. Listen to this. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Sometime, not when you're in your mama's womb, not when you're living in your mama's belly, sometime before foundations of the world, when we were all still this unformed substance being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He already knew every day of your life. How could that possibly be? I don't know. But the Bible teaches us it's true. And this isn't just some isolated story. This isn't just some isolated event. Oh, this is just artistic, poetic language that David was using. No, no, it's not. Another of my favorites, Ephesians 1, 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Oh, whoa, man, I don't like that word. Predestined, that means I'm not in control of my own life. Um, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You mean he doesn't ask my advice? Thank God he doesn't. You mean to tell me he does things without actually coming down here and making sure I want this? Yeah, he does. According to the counsel of his will, he has predestined that we might obtain an inheritance. What I'd suggest is we just quit complaining about it and live in it. Because we get an inheritance for crying out loud. Who doesn't want an inheritance? God, in his providence, he knows and determines every day of our lives. That doesn't, I'm not removing, I'm not removing our responsibility. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But we got to learn to trust in his providence. He knows and determines every day of our lives before one has ever existed. J.I. Packer, referencing this in Concise Theology, says this. The doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces. This is actually very comforting when you think about it. We are never in the grip of blind forces. Fortune, chance, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes as a new summons to trust obey and rejoice knowing that all is for one's spiritual and eternal good brothers and sisters there is nothing that has ever happened to you or ever will happen to you 
that does not come to you having already been filtered by the loving and providential care of your heavenly Father. Remember in Ephesians, even, not even Ephesians, sorry, Ecclesiastes, even Solomon, in, in, in his broken pursuit of wisdom and joy in life, he finally comes to this realization that every difficulty you face is used to make you beautiful. You are like the gemstone that is being pressed to be prepared to shine. You're like the rock that's being polished so that you're beautiful to behold. You're like the gold and the silver being refined that the impurities might be removed. This isn't true because we say it's true. This is true because it is who God is. It's who the scripture reveals him to be. The issue is not whether it's really true or not. The issue is, are we going to believe it? Are we going to rest in it? Are we going to really step, in, step into it, sit down in it, rest in it? We must exercise our faith in Him. If we are humbly planning in accordance with the Lord's will, we must have faith in Him. If we're ever going to accomplish this, we, we must. Humbly planning in accordance with the Lord's will demands wisdom from Him. Now, James recognized this at the opening of his letter. There are going to be plenty of things that come your way, that come our way, that we cannot control, and that we won't even necessarily enjoy. They're going to be difficult. You remember what he said? James 1, 1? What does he say? Come on. Say it out, say it out louder, everybody here. Count it all joy. What am I supposed to count all joy? The parties that I'm about to have and the... And the good times that lay in front of me? No, no, no. When you face trials of various kinds, because you know it's building something better. And then he turns and he says, oh, if you're lacking wisdom, if you need wisdom, just ask him for it. Ask in faith. You see, James understood that we must, we must have his wisdom informing our faith if we're going to be able to perceive and apply his will in our life if we're going to be able to ever count it all joy we're going to need his wisdom informing our faith so that we can see that god is sovereign he's providentially protecting us providentially planning our lives and oh this stinks this is difficult i don't want it but god has said it's for my good and so i will rejoice in that that requires wisdom that doesn't naturally come to us. So James instructs us. Ask God in faith. And He promises us. He promises us that God will give it to us. See, with the wisdom from above, we're suddenly able to understand and begin to discern that, oh man, I don't know what happens tomorrow, but God does. So it's going to be okay. I've got a plan. But I'm able to respond to whatever the Lord wills. I don't know how long my life will last, but, but God does. So I'm going to live today as if it could be my last. Seeking to leave a legacy that doesn't point people to what a great guy I am, but the Savior who saved me. That's, that, that, that's, my, I, I, that, that's my view. I, in fact, that's my view of the end times even. When's the end going to be? 
I don't know what the detail is going to be. I don't exactly know. I've got an opinion. I'd love to tell you at some point if you ever ask, or, or maybe one day I'll do a sermon series and you'll get to hear it. But the essential of it is this. Jesus is coming. And it could be today. Or it could be a thousand years from now. And I don't get to determine it. What I get to determine is what I do in this day until he comes or until he takes me home. And so I'm going to seek to live in such a way that points people to him as I live in every situation. I wish I could say I did this perfectly. I confess my sin in front of you pretty regularly. (laughs) The reality is we need this kind of wisdom that gives us a new perspective, a new understanding, a a new way to apply what we know to be true to the circumstances of our life so that no matter what the circumstance holds, whether it's something we endure or something we get to enjoy, we can still count it all joy. Humbly planning in accordance with the Lord's will will demand our faith in Him, our wisdom from Him, and submission to Him. This is, exa- this is, I think, the exact thing he was getting at in the verses before. Draw near to God. Submit yourself to God. Humble yourself before God. Put yourself under Him. Don't, don't live according to your own desires or your own designs any longer. We give up our will in order to live in accordance with His. We quit living under the delusion that, that our own arrogance could, could, could present to us that, that, that we could ever accomplish what we actually, everything we set our hearts desire to. Well, what is His will for my life? His will for your life is to submit to Him. You see, we're so busy trying to figure out His will for our life and where I'm supposed to live and what my job is supposed to be and am I supposed to marry this person? Should I buy this thing or that thing? Or should I do this or that? Or should I have this specific detail figured out? Or what am I supposed to do? We're so busy trying to figure out the details of His will for our life that are discerned and only able to be seen by His providential position that we miss the fact that he's clearly shown us what his will is. Well, what is it? I I define it three ways with three things. The greatest commandment, the second commandment, and the great commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, with all your strength, your whole self. The second command is like it. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. James already has told us that. And then in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says, that, he, he says to his disciples, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the, very, in, to the, end of the age. And I might have missed a word or two, but that's, that's the guts of it. The idea is he commanded them, Go make disciples. And then he said, Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. I think we can see that that... That one command is one of the things he commanded others to obey through them. And, by the way, he's commanded us that the greatest commandment is to love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we can get those three things figured out, well, there's none of us that do it perfectly. But I, I think that's not often the first thing on our mind. See, instead of seeking to know the details that God's laid out for our life, that's his providential plan. Seek to live obedient in every one of these details to these three commands. 
because everything you can, everything you can do, everything that you're able to do, everything you have an opportunity to do can be done with a love for the glory of the Lord. Jesus set that example for us. Everything you do or don't do can be filtered through, is this loving my neighbor as I love myself? Everything you can do, whether it's vocation, whether it's family, whatever it is, where you live, what you do, can be done with a desire to make disciples where you are, as you go. So I'll just provide you simply a guide to this. Just four little questions that you can ask yourself in seeking to live submissively in accordance with the Lord's will so that you can humbly plan for the things to come. Is what I'm planning prohibited by the Lord? Does he say don't do it? So as an example, in his word it says don't plan arrogantly. Right? So, okay, that's, I shouldn't do that. Is what I'm planning prohibited by the Lord? Is it sin just to to take part in it? Okay, I can mark that off. That's clear. It's easy. The rest of of our decisions aren't so easy because I think most of our decisions, especially as Christians, are not whether it's evil or or good or whether it's sinful or not sinful. I think most of the decisions we make are, are really, is this acceptable? Is this the Lord's will? And we're trying to figure out the details when if we'd simply just apply his commands. Does what I'm planning enable or hinder me from loving or obeying the Lord? So, if I'm going to choose a vocation, is it going to help me? Is it going to enable me? Or is it going to detract from me? Loving the Lord. It's a difficult thing. Because there's not many vocations in the world that don't in some way seek to draw us away, right? I'll just tell you that even in my job where you might think, oh, well, you got it. No, there's so much pressure to perform, so much pressure to have a growing church, to be in that list of churches that have, have ba- numbers of baptisms and numbers of de- decisions and numbers of dollars and all of these things. They, they count it, they call it uh, bat, butts, baptisms, and budgets. Butts in the seats, baptisms in the baptistry, and budgets. You, you, you want those things. There is such a pressure for that. So we're not going to find a place that, that, that perfectly allows us to do this, but am I able to continue to pursue His glory as I do it? Does what I'm planning enable or hinder me from loving and serving my neighbor? So we love or obey God. We love and to love we serve neighbor, right? Like to serve God is to obey him. To to serve God is to serve others. That's the idea. Does it enable or detract from that? So buying this new PlayStation, is it going to keep me from going to my neighbor's house? Is it going to keep me from time in the word? Is it going to... And honestly, I don't care if you have a PlayStation or not. I don't care if you buy a PlayStation. I just know it's a place where, where people today struggle. They'll give their whole life vegging out in front of a video game. I don't really care if you have one or not. I don't think, the, I don't think that's the thing. I think it's what you do when you have the thing. Because the reality is, is that at some point you do need to rest. You do need to recreate. You do need to let your mind settle. But how are you going to do that? 
Are you going to do that with a love for your love for the Lord, a love for your neighbor? Are you going to just disconnect from everything so that you can veg and have what you want? Does what I'm planning enable or hinder me from making disciples? Oh, honey, I got this idea. Let's go buy an amazing sound system, a big TV, and I don't know, what's the newest PlayStation now? Is it PlayStation 4 still? Uh, You don't know. All right. Whatever it is, let's go buy it, and we'll invite our neighbors over. That sounds really good until you get there and all you do is play video games. Don't act like it's missional effort or missional work if all you're doing is trying to find a reason to get something new in your house. You see, if, I, I think if we'll begin to run our life and the circumstances of our life through this rubric of loving the Lord, loving our neighbor, and making disciples, I think it'll clear a lot of things up. We can rest to the Lord's glory. We can work hard to the Lord's glory. We can rest for the good of our neighbors, and we can work hard for the good of our neighbors. And we can, we can rest from making disciples so that when we stand up to do that work in making disciples, see, it, it, it works across the board. This is the Lord's will for you. Live according to it. Now, I could give you a lot of details James is full of commands about what this looks like in life. But I think if we can just get these three, begin to live by them, we'll be able to humbly plan in a responsible way so that we're actually looking for and living in the providence of God. See, see, this is where it happens. We have the providence of God, which he has determined every day of your life in which you are now responsible to live in in a way that honors him that glorifies him, that loves your neighbors and makes disciples till the day he comes to get you. He's got a plan. He's got a will for you. And then he's got a command. He says, you are called to obey. Humbly planning in accordance with the Lord's will will demand faith in him, wisdom from him, and submission to him. This makes us dependent upon him again. It recognizes God in his rightful place as God and us in our rightful place, his creature's Let me just leave you with two very brief thoughts. James tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which would you rather be? An arrogant planner or a humble planner? In one, you're going to be opposing God. In the other, you're going to be receiving His grace. In verse 11 of chapter 4, James promises us that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you. Most of our pursuits in building our own kingdoms are because we're seeking a way to be exalted. What if I told you, you can lay all that deadly doing down. Live in accordance with the Lord's will. Humble yourself before him. Submit to his will. And he will do the thing you are incapable of doing. He will exalt you. And he has proven that he will do it through his son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and for our sins and rose from the dead, who now sits at his right hand, waiting for the moment that he says, go get your bride. (laughs) At At which time he will come and take us to be with him forever. There's no reason to continue arrogantly pursuing our own gain. 
what we do. Let's pray.